Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today for the transgressor's memorial service, remembering those who have transgressed against the great spirit of inclusion and must forever be cast into the abyss of dead names. Let's join Brother Andrew remembering those who we have lost. first remembrance this week is for Santa Claus. Now, I know what you're thinking. How can something so many of us have loved our whole lives and have passed on to our children in lore possibly be wrong? But dear Otherin, you know the answer. It is always those most cherished icons which cause us to stumble the worst, precisely because we can't see the problems. And surely you all know by now that the goal of our movement is to root out every last speck of joy in our lives by showing that it really stands for oppression, division, and bigotry. And though I hate to say it, Santa is an across-the-board offender. Let's begin with the obvious problems. Santa is fat. In and of itself, this might not be so bad, but the problem is that despite our advocacy for body positivity, Santa's morbid obesity, his overconsumption of sugary cookies and vegan unfriendly cow's milk, and his unrepentant refusal to exercise while he instead forces enslaved reindeer to carry him everywhere he goes in a sleigh, are all reasons we cannot allow him to be a role model for our children. Besides, Santa is an unrepentant smoker, and surely we can't say we're serious about our cultural jihad against smoking if we encourage our children to make petitions to some eye-twinkling, smirky reverse burglar who's addicted to tobacco and spreads lethal secondhand smoke everywhere he goes. Moreover, Santa represents everything that's wrong with traditional morality. Creating naughty and nice lists of all the children clearly implies that some children are better than others, when in fact, they may just be living according to their own relativistic understanding of virtue. The cultural imperialism is noxious and definitely perpetuates the behave-or-else ethos of the traditional religions we oppose. Moreover, the only way to know whether children are naughty or nice is by violating their privacy, without even a hint of seeking consent or a valid warrant from the FISA court. However, we must admit a little bit of envy for the robustness of Santa's surveillance system, something our own wildest dreams of a police state can only envy. Now, we do applaud the elegant symbolism that Santa punishes naughty children by giving them a lump of that most vile of carbon pollutants, coal. But since the only thing anyone can do with a lump of coal is burn it, we think the amount of carbon dioxide emitted by naughty recipients of this climate threat gift over the centuries must have contributed significantly to our current crisis. He should instead punish them with shrubberies, which at least capture rather than emit carbon. And it shouldn't go without notice how Santa overtly encourages participation in fireplace culture, that most vile enclave of carboniferous pollution. Then, there are some of the more subtle problems that take a third eye really well-trained in woke detection. Yes, we like the idea of magical presence from an all-powerful governing force that freely distributes to each recipient their heart's desires, but we do not like the idea that this is done through the mechanism of a portly bearded sleigh driver from the North Pole and not from an extra-constitutional federal agency, praise government from whom all blessings flow. Don't get me started on the child labor laws being violated with those elves. You might as well make Santa Chinese and have his diminutive slave laborers making iPhones on his North Pole plantation. Of course, you do recognize how painfully heteronormative the Santa story is. He's in a centuries-long monogamous relationship with Mrs. Claus. Rudolph comes from an intact heterosexual family and partners with Clarice. In fact, the closest thing we have to rainbow representation here is the Island of Misfit Toys. 
But are we really to believe that the LGBTQ-esque outcasts are, outcasts are incapable of rescuing themselves and must wait on the charity of a straight savior like Rudolph or Santa to make their lives complete? Now, I will say, some have made the case that Yukon Cornelius and Hermie the Elf might have something going romantically on the side. After all, just look at how long they are secretly off on their own apart from the other characters. But if they do have a thing, and even if Bumble the Abominable Snowman is part of their non-traditional polyamory, the point is, they keep that secret completely off-screen. And as we preach, hiding is hurting. Now, obviously, Santa's mistreatment of the reindeer is fundamentally unacceptable. Animals are our peers, not our slave labor force. And dare I even ask if that is an actual fur-lined coat he's wearing? But the last straw for me with Santa is that he is supposed to be all-knowing about who's been naughty and who's been nice, right? But if that's true, then he definitely knew that Rudolph was being bullied by the other reindeer, and he did nothing about it. Santa is certainly no hero. Woe unto all who offend. Woe unto all who offend! Finally, we just want to take a moment to offer our support and comfort for Harvard University President Claudine Gay and her colleagues from Penn and MIT, Liz McGill and Sally Kornbluth. After last week's vicious attack upon our denomination's finest representatives by Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. As you all know, the New York Republican committed word assault upon our dear friends by demanding that they answer impossibly difficult questions, such as whether calling for genocide of Jews violates their school's codes of conduct. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. Exactly. That question is too much of a riddle, precisely because Jews do not count as a protected minority in our system of selective inclusion and inconsistent rage. Now, even though none of these strong, courageous women actually said it, we know the real reason it's perfectly fine to call for the global intifada against the Jews is because they have an unfair share of the world's geography. Israel covers more than 8,500 luxurious square miles of land the Arabs want, while the Arab countries currently must squeeze themselves tightly into just 5 million square miles of territory. As these numbers clearly show, the Jews have too much, and the Arabs have far, far too little land to live on. It is reasoning like this that must be protected and nurtured by the fine institutions of higher learning like Harvard, Penn, and MIT. Woe unto all who offend. Woe unto all who offend. As you depart today, please let Letitia know how you plan to help support the climate change protesters tomorrow at Graffiti Bridge. Inspired by so many noble eco-warriors in the news recently, Letitia and her wokalites will be super-gluing themselves to the street on 17th Avenue and then throwing bean soup on whatever artwork is painted on the trestle. Since they will only have one arm free, we need volunteers to open cans of soup, carry the open cans to the frontline demonstrationistas, and then applaud them as they show just how serious this movement is. Letitia also needs at least six level two chanters for the Down With Oil slogan squad. Registration forms are at the rear of the sanctuary. Refreshments this week are provided by Slipped Discs. Wheatgrass smoothies so difficult to swallow you'll actually throw your back out trying. As they like to say at Slipped Discs, nothing tastes as good as dry heaving for justice feels. Slipped Discs, bringing inedible foods back to the breakfast table. You can really choke on the virtue. And now, brethren, sisterin, and otherin, having been cleansed of these hurtful words, give each other the holy virtue signal and go forth and transgress no more. <laughs>